All right, good morning. Welcome to the open door, and I'd like to welcome all of our guests, our family, and our friends. We're glad you're here to worship with us today, and like Pastor Jeff said, I am Gary Thomas. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my honor to deliver the word to you this morning. Last week, Pastor Jeff began a series, a seven-part series called Exist to Exalt. We're working our way through the scriptures to, to meet out this purpose. We learned last week that exalt means to lift up. Specifically, we are lifting God up higher than ourselves so that we make sure we are putting him first. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to look at the second part in this series by exploring the question, who is the Lord God? God's desire has always been that his creation would know him. He knew that without intimate knowledge of him, that fosters relationship, it would result in mankind being destroyed. We see this in Hosea 4, 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. If we seek him, we will find him, Jeremiah 29, 13 says. Walk in his blessings and have overwhelming desire to exalt his holy name. The question, who is the Lord, is not a new question, nor is the answer a new one. My goal for you this morning is threefold. First, is that if you truly do not know who is the Lord God, I pray that question is answered for you today. Second, if you knew in times past who the Lord was, and he had an effect in your life, but now sometimes that life has gotten in the way, and you would like to be called back to him, I pray that that is answered for you today. And then finally, if you truly know who God is. At this moment, this morning, this will be a time of remembrance and reflection. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are continually present in the midst today. And that before time began, God, you were there. Before all of this was created around us, you were there. And you are the same God that's here today. So Father, I pray that you would bless this morning. I pray that you would open the ears, open the minds, open the hearts of the people here. Father, I pray that you would clear my mind. I pray that you would clear my tongue so that the only thing spoken today is about you and how glorious and wonderful you are. Father, meet us this morning. Touch hearts and lives so that not we're just affected today, not that we're just stirred this morning and then we leave these doors and nothing happens. Father, affect us today so that as we go out, that we will be like Moses after he saw your shadow. His face was glowing. Father, I pray that you would burn in our hearts that people would see the glowing in our face because of you. We ask this through the blood of your son, Jesus. Amen. My preaching style is a little bit different. I tend to overuse the word uh and um, almost to the point of it's a distraction. I am aware of it. I am inside myself saying, don't say that. And so one of the things that I do to combat that is I take a preaching style that was used a long time ago by a guy, maybe you've heard of him, Jonathan Edwards, where he would write out his sermons. And so that's what I've done. That's what I've done the past couple times that I've, I've preached here. So we have about 12 pages of, of sermons. It's not just notes. There's some filler words in here. So I will say we, we have some, uh, some guests today. We have some family here and, and my father before. He didn't see me leave the house, so he didn't know how I was dressed this morning. But he knew I was preaching. And so when I walked to, to greet him after Men's Connect, he looked at me and he said, Son, I taught you how to dress better than that. But being the former Marine that he is and the, uh, the thing that he did is I said, 
Dad, I said, I did shine my shoes this morning. The way you taught me with the kiwi polish and the water and the buffer, I, I got that. So we, we did that this morning. So I'm glad to have all of you here. Pastor Jeff has this, this series of, of exist to exalt and that our purpose is to exalt the Lord God. Well, one of the first questions that we must ask and answer is, who exactly is the Lord God? So today, we're going to do a style of message that is akin to maybe a fanboy or a fangirl style message. So imagine we were all young at one time, and we were the fair, the park, walking down the hall of our nearest high school or wherever, and we saw that cute member of the opposite sex. We saw that cute girl, that cute boy. And we looked at that person, and we like, I would like to know who that is. And so we began asking all of our friends, do we know that person? Do you know that person? And so one of the first things that we find out is, what's that person's name? And then we start asking all the things about that person, all the things that describe that person. We're going to do that this morning. So the first thing we're going to look at is, what's his name? We're familiar with the word or the term Lord God. Dictionary.com puts Lord this way. It's a person who has authority, control, or power over others. Synonym, so that would be a master a chief or a ruler. Also defines as a person who exercises authority from property rights, an owner of land, houses, etc. It answers the question of God. How does it define God? God is the supreme being, according to the interwebs, the creator and the ruler of the universe. In the Bible, historically speaking, God's name was so holy that the authors wouldn't spell out the name of God. So they only wrote the consonants for his name. And that's where we get the letters Y-H-W-H. For us today, with little training in Hebrew, we take the commonly accepted pronunciation as Yahweh or Jehovah. Instead of saying his name, and because his name was so sacred, the Hebrews and God himself used different names, titles, and phrases to describe his attributes. We do the same thing today with things that are far less sacred. So this concept is not difficult for us to understand. Imagine I said the word car. What's the first thing that came to your mind? Was it a Chevy Sonic or a Bugatti Chiron? Or how about just a Hyundai? When we take all of the phrases and all the descriptive words, we get a clearer understanding of what exactly we're talking about. There are many names in the Bible that describe God. We're going to sort through some of those these today to see if we can begin to understand who or what exactly we're talking about when we say the word Lord God. Let's start with the noun first. Let's start with God. The very first mention of God is in the fourth word of our Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That word there is Elohim. Elohim means God. This name refers to God's incredible power and might. God created. He is the one and only God. He is supreme, the true God in a world that promotes many false gods and religions. He is the one on whom we can fully rely. He is sovereign. He is the one we can completely trust. He is mighty over all nature, this world, the heavens above, our creative God who worked wonders by his hands. God reminds us that he is Elohim every single day. His amazing power is at work in every minute, every sunset, in the way he holds the stars in the sky, 
and carries his people through difficult times. Years ago, I used to work for a guy, and he would see the sunset or the sunrise, and his favorite phrase, I don't know how many times he said this, it seemed like hundreds or thousands, and he would say, man, God don't paint no junk. So God is at work every day. You can be assured that you are held by an almighty God. You never have to fear. God's hands are strong and secure. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1 tells us. The heavens are telling the glory of God in Psalm 19-1. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Elohim occurs more than 2,000 times in the Bible. Elohim is the plural form of Eloah. Interesting. The first mention of God mentions a plural form. Sometimes with the addition such as God of Abraham. But mostly, Elohim is freestanding. Next to our second word, Elohim is the major major designation for God. Elohim refers to deity, but comes virtually to be a name for the true God. Elohim sums up what is intended by God or the divine. From the Bible's first sentence, the superlative nature of God's power is evident as God, Elohim, speaks a world into existence in Genesis 1-3, Genesis 1-6, and Genesis 1-9. His power, enabling barren women such as Sarah and Rebecca to conceive in Genesis 18-10, 18-14, and 25-21. Bringing an oppressed people out of Egypt. We see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And with power, raising Jesus Christ from the dead. We see in Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. In 1 Peter 1-5, Peter writes that believers are shielded By God's power, in the name of Elohim, is fullness of divine power. The second word, Yahweh. Yahweh means Lord. Yahweh is derived from the Hebrew word for I am. It is the proper name of the divine person coming from the verb, which means to exist or to be. When God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses was scared. He needed reassurance. He needed to know that God was bigger than his problem. Any of us there today got a problem? God's bigger than your problem. He needed to know that that God would carry them through, that even if people wouldn't listen to him, Moses, they would listen to the one who sent him. Because his name carried that much awe and honor. So Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. What do I say when they ask, what's his name? God tells them, I am who I am. That's what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. In other words, God is saying, daddy said. Remember when we was kids and we'd be in trouble, we'd be doing something we shouldn't be doing, and one of our loving siblings would come in and try to correct us? Well, daddy said, that meant business. And that's what God is telling Moses. God's name Yahweh is one of authority. It is one that holds great power and says to all who hear, I am the one true God, follow me. God is still the great I am, for he never changes. We can trust his loving leadership in our lives just as Moses did. He calls for us for his specific purposes, reminding us that he knows our way and he has a plan. YHWH is the Tetragrammaton because of four letters, is strictly speaking the only proper name for God. It is also the most frequent name occurring in the Old Testament about 7,000 times. 
almost 700 times just in Psalms alone. Yah is a shortened form that appears 50 times in the Old Testament, including 43 occurrences in Psalms, often in the admonition of hallelujah, which is literally praise God. English Bibles represent the name YHWH by the title Lord with capital letters, written to distinguish it from lowercase Lord. The Jews, for reverence reasons, did not pronounce the name, but substituted for the word Adonai. The resulted misguided pronunciation of the name YHWH as a three-syllable word, Yehovah, continued in our English Bible translations until the early 20th century. Evidence from Greek usage in the Christian era pointed to the two-syllable pronunciation of Yahweh, which is why we have the confusion and sometimes doublespeak of Yahweh and and, uh, Yehovah. The theological significance that attaches to the name YHWH is multiple. Judging from the etymology, but more particularly from the context in which the name is disclosed in Exodus 3, 12 and 14, Exodus 6, 2 through 8, the name signifies presence. God is with, he is near and among his people. This overtone of presence is reiterated in the naming of the wilderness structure as tabernacle and in the promised name, Emmanuel, God with us. We find that in Isaiah 7, verse 14, and in Matthew 1, verse 23. Yahweh is present. He's accessible, near to those who call on him. We find that in Psalms 145, 18, for deliverance in 107, 13, for forgiveness in 25, 11, and guidance in 31, 3. Yahweh is dynamically near, but as God Elohim, he is also paradoxically transcendent. The name YHWH defines him as involved in human struggle. Yahweh's name is forever tied through the Exodus event with salvation and liberation. We see this in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 13, and then in Exodus 20, verses 2 through 3. The salvation promise given in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8, is an expansive one, including intimacy with God and blessings of abundance. But it is decidedly bracketed with first and last with, I am Yahweh. The name YHWH is prominent in salvation oracles from Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 and in petitions in Psalms 79 verses 5 and 9, Psalms 86 verse 1. The salvation dimension of the name recurs in the announcements of the incarnation, the one born is to be called Jesus, which is an echo of YHWH. He will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1:21 tells us. In the name YHWH, God's character as the Savior of a people is revealed. The third name we get to is Abba. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, we hear in Galatians 4, 6. Abba, Father, is the word for God in the Lord's Prayer in Luke eleven two. 2. The epithet is strikingly frequent in John 108 times, and also in Matthew, 40 times. The range of meanings include those of authority and discipline, but also those of compassion, care, protection, and provision. The next name, El Elyon, means God Most High. El Elyon is the name used throughout the Old Testament, revealing God is above all gods, that nothing in life is more sacred. He is indeed the Lord Most High, the one who reigns supreme. He is greater than any force of darkness in this world. He's bigger than any problems we might come up against in this life. 
in daily life struggles and battles, we sometimes just need to be reminded that God is still in control. He will never lose his power and might. Though the world feels dark, he has conquered death and sin. He is mighty. He is Lord. He is exalted over all. Psalm 717 says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The next name we see, El Roi. It means the God who sees. I love the kindness and care that this name holds as it points to God's character. He is the one who chases after us, follows us with his goodness. He is the one who sees us when we feel lonely, all on our own, when we just need to be reminded that God is close. The name El Roi says to us that God is watching over all, that he sees the affairs of his people, and he knows when we feel lost and unloved. When Hagar had run away to the desert place, far from those, she felt hurt and betrayed. We see God surround her in so much grace and care. He didn't leave her alone in her troubles, nor will he leave us alone to fend for ourselves in difficult times. The story of God's name reminds us that he is always close, that he sees us when we feel that no one else does, and that he cares. Genesis 16, 13 says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The next name, El Shaddai, means God Almighty. God's name, El Shaddai, reminds us that he is all-powerful. He is the mighty one. He is the 911. We see this in Psalms 91.1. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We can find refuge and rest in his shadow. This is comforting in a world where we face many battles day by day. Sometimes it's hard to know who we can trust. We may feel uncertain or unsafe in circumstances surrounding us. We want to know that our loved ones are protected, cared for. This verse and God's reminder that he is the Almighty gives us the security and assurance that nothing else around us can offer. He is the God who sees all, knows all, and has the power to go before us. The next one, Yahweh Yara, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. God will provide for our needs, every one of them. He is faithful. He is able. Nothing is too difficult for him. Sometimes his timing is different than ours. Ever happened to you? God's timing didn't match up to yours. Sometimes we get our needs and our wants confused. Other times he knows what is better for us than we even know ourselves. We can trust him and his timing is perfect and that all things are possible for him even when we can't see a way out. Abraham found this to be true. Alone with his son Isaac in the wilderness, he knew and trusted that God would provide for a sacrifice in a place of his only child. He believed in God's character and knew him to be faithful, loving, and the God who would provide. Often it seems that God tests our hearts like he did Abraham's that day. He wants to know what we're willing to lay down before him, before he opens the doors of provision and blessing. May we be found faithful like Abraham in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. 
And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The next name, Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner. This is the name that, of God that proclaims his protection, leadership, and deliverance for his people. Just as God brought divine protection for the Israelites against their enemies. He offers us protection and delivers today from the enemies we may face in life. While Joshua and the people fought against their enemy, Moses stood up on the hill with God's staff in his hands. The Bible tells the story that even though Moses grew weary, when his hands were lifted up by those who supported him, the Israelites were winning. And when his hands were lowered, the Amalekites were winning. It was clear to all who gave them victory that day. Sometimes we spin our wheels trying to battle through our hard days in our own strength. We get weary, we get angry, we get upset, and we end up losing it. God's reminder is to all that He is our banner, our protector, the one that is able to lead us and give us supernatural victory against forces and obstacles that come against us. If we allow Him to be in control, He will do more on our behalf than we could ever possibly do on our own. The next, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha means healer, the Lord who heals you. This name brings so much comfort and hope to many of us who have prayed for healing and deliverance from disease, illness, brokenness, painful circumstances, financial troubles, family troubles. It reminds us that God knows we're in need of help. He understands we're in need of healing. He promises to redeem every broken place in our lives. He never leaves us on our own to fend for ourselves. Without him, we couldn't have hope for true freedom and healing. But just as God brought miraculous deliverance from all types of diseases and difficulties throughout his word, he promises to act on behalf of his people today. Sometimes the healing doesn't come in the timetable or the way in which we expect it. That can be difficult. But as believers, we still have this hope and assurance. We will live forever free in heaven, far away from the burdens we've carried here in this life. Jesus promises to make all things new, and God will wipe away every tear. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The last name, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. God is the only one able to give us the peace that passes all of our own understanding. Gideon knew this well from a time that he and his people were surrounded by a fierce enemy. There was nothing about that time that seemed peaceful, and yet God showed up strong on their behalf. He was faithful and brought deliverance straight through fear-filled days. Maybe that's why Gideon felt so led to build an altar to the Lord and call it, The Lord is Peace. In times of greatest darkness, he has seen how true this was. The peace of God often doesn't make sense to a world that would tell us, hurry and worry. A world that seems hard some days and often full of struggles in the midst of it all. He reminds us that he is our peace. So we never need to fear. Judges 6.24 
Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. In these ten names, we see some interesting and comforting attributes of God. Throughout the scripture, God makes himself known in different ways. He spoke out of a cloud. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He appeared as an angel of the Lord to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He showed his shadow to Moses, his face through a cloud to the pursuing Egyptian army. In these ways and many more, God has revealed himself in three distinct persons. This may seem odd and impossible or just downright unbelievable, but our our ability to visualize this seems to boggle the mind. How can God do this? I've got a demonstration for you today to help us give some understanding. I'm very visual. And so, through visual, I went to YouTube. I found a video. One of the things that we see in our world around us is water. Some of you that have been through physical science or any kind of science class understands that there's three basic states of matter, solid, liquid, and gas. Many of us have gone to the tap, turned the water on, put it in a pot, put it on the stove, and watched it boil away. That's liquid turning into gas. Most of us have modern-day devices that takes water, puts it into the freezer for us on our behalf, and creates ice. And all in our natural world, we see these three distinct phases as separate. But I'm going to show you to kind of help clear up some things and how all three of these can exist at the same time, in the same space, in the same container. You see, something interesting happens when we apply heat to ice. The ice, it warms up. And when it reaches the melting point, it changes phases from solid to liquid. And then at that point, you either have 32-degree ice or 32-degree water. And then as you continue applying heat, the water heats up until you get to about 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius, and then something else happens. The water turns to gas. And we've seen this. You've seen this. But somebody, this guy named John Thompson back in the 1800s, said, what if we put this stuff in a device and we change the pressure inside that device. And that skews the whole phase. And so when conditions are right, when we can get to the right temperature and the right pressure, all three phases meet at the same temperature and the same pressure. And it's called the triple point, just like God. He exists in all three at the exact same time. Who are these three? God the Father. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. God the Holy Spirit, we see in Genesis 1, 2. And the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit 
of God moved across the face of the deep. And then God the Son. 1 John 5, 20 says, And I, we know that the Son of God has come to give us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is true and God eternal. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So now, we've learned these names. We kind of know some things about Him. We know He kind of exists in three distinct persons. But I said the order of the three persons kind of out of order. Normally we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I ended with the Son. We see in Matthew chapter 1 that they were to call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God incarnate. That God is here and God is present through His Son, Jesus. We have another name for Jesus called Christ. It began as more of a title. Thank you to the Greeks for Christus. It means the anointed one. It's the translation of a Hebrew word, Messiah, which we translate to Messiah. Christ now has a new name. One part of the name is Jesus Christ. Other titles of Jesus, Lord, Master, Son of God, Son of Man. We've seen God is with us. Who is this Jesus? And Jesus asked his disciples the same question. Who do you think I am? I'm asking you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is he some just historical figure that people wrote about? The interesting thing, when we look at the history of Jesus and the history of the writings about Jesus, is that his contemporaries, they never said he didn't exist. They called him crazy. They said he was full of a devil. They said all sorts of things. He's written about not just in the Bible, but he's written about in Jewish historians, by Roman historians of the time. He's also written about in other religions. There's one specific religion that mentions him, Jesus, more than they name their own prophet. In the book of the Quran, in the religion of the Muslims, they mention Jesus in their holy book. They call his name Isa. And they have a unique term for Isa. Isa is Kalimat Allah, which means Word of God. I ask you this morning, who is Jesus to you? You came here today, didn't know what the message was going to be. I've given you some evidence on who God is and who Jesus is. And so I ask you this morning, will you make a decision today on who God is? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We thank you that you have given us understanding, that you've given us a heart for, for knowledge. And in every person around the world, you have placed in them an emptiness that can only be filled with you. And so, Father, I ask you this morning to reveal yourself to those who don't know you, 
To those who have strayed away, Lord, call them back. And for those that know you, remind us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.